It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, so hype right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot, fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it like when Tatum play a Jalen on the breakaway, a Kyrie when he make a trade, and nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth that after you play it, you got a repeat. So in depth they might do an hour about the D League. So in depth you probably should pay him, but it's a freebie. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. And well wishes go to Gordon. Listen after every game is very important, Millie. Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for making us part of your daily routine. We are the Rain and Jays, John Corrales, that's me, from RedsArmy.com and Boston.com, joined, as always, post-game by Sam Jam Packard of the Newsly Times. Today we are celebrating a Celtics Game 1 victory, 117-101 over the 76ers no Jalen Brown who gives a shit doesn't matter another guy goes down it's just win by more because that's exactly how the Celtics season has gone the Celtics did everything I had hoped that they would do when I was saying that this matchup actually seems to favor the Celtics in a lot of ways the Celtics did okay mostly on Embiid even though he put up 31 and 13 for the most part aside from a stretch in the third quarter he was they held him in, in an acceptable range. Ben Simmons did not play particularly well, even though the numbers suggest 18-7-6 was better than he, – he, he looked terrible. Uh, Celtics got awesome games from Horford, from Rozier, from Tatum. Just unreal all the way around. So lots to talk about here as we break it all down. So, Sam, how do we explain this? Uh, explain it. I don't. I don't know. Al Horford is awesome. Jason Tatum is also quite good. And Terry Rozier, um, channeling his inner Drew Bledsoe, knew how to throw the deep <laughs> ball tonight, and was also amazing. Um, it was. It's kind of crazy that the all three of those guys uh, each scored close to thirty points. But you're. I think that's like what both of us mentioned is that we needed. Um, those guys to step up uh, if the Celtics were going to win, and boy, did they step up. And then I think the the matchup is a is a fascinating thing because I just don't think the Celt or the the Sixers have a great way to guard one Terry Rozier or two Jason Tatum. And then if Al Horford's going to be that efficient, it's going to be really uh, interesting to see how the 76ers counter on uh, on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, uh, it looked like. Ben Simmons was a rookie tonight. I mean, the like seven turnovers is not good. And he was definitely mad online at the end of the game. He was definitely a little bit frustrated. And the fact that he can't shoot whatsoever feels like a, a problem for him. Um, and it's not just that he can't shoot threes. It's not that he won't even attempt a three. But he had chances tonight in the paint where he refused to shoot. In a... In the restricted area, I believe one ha- one time happened, and he just doesn't want to shoot. And so the Celtics um, just had seven games of practice of getting back and building a wall and stopping the guy going downhill. 
and they're going to do that against Ben Simmons. And if he's going to continue not to shoot, I think it's an advantage to the Boston Celtics. Now, obviously, the Celtics shot a crazy amount of threes. You had threes from Aaron Baines, which doesn't normally happen. You had Marcus Smart taking irrational threes, and you had Semi even hitting threes. The 76ers were not good from downtown. Bellinelli, I think, only hit one. Ilyasova was shooting all over the place, and Redick didn't have his best game from three. So I think that's going to balance each other out. But that kind of goes back to the, the old adage, role players playing better at home. And tonight the Sixers just were not very good offensively and didn't really have an answer for the Celtics defensively. I thought it's just they didn't – anytime Marco Bellinelli was in a the game, they attacked. They, it felt like Horford was doing a real good job. They were – the Celtics were attacking mismatches. That's not something we've seen them do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're doing it very, very effectively. And yes. it, it feels like the length of the Bucks were, were people – the Celtics really struggled to go ISO and beat their guys one-on-one. But this, the 76ers just aren't that uh, – they have some guys you can attack. So if, whether that be J.J. Redick or Marco Bellinelli um, – they just don't have the better, I guess, one-on-one defenders. And I'm really trying hard not to overreact to a game one victory because you would think the home team would win. But just in terms of their roster, in terms of the guys that run out there, um, I don't know if Saric can cover Tatum. They just they just don't have as much speed and, and just a skilled one-on-one defense as uh, I think the Bucks had. And I'm that was my biggest concern at the end of the series is if the Celtics scoring points. And tonight they, they did it with relative ease, which was shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, they, they did. Um, I think from the Celtics scoring perspective, obviously it starts with Al Horford. Al Horford was just a beast. And it, he only took 12 shots. It seems like we say that a lot about Al Horford. He only took X amount of shots, but he made damn near every one of them. And every one of them was just brilliant in him either switching onto a guy he could take in the post or taking Embiid and, and challenging Embiid, getting those open threes, uh, including one that was just so wide open. Uh, the, the the Sixers, uh, I don't think, were prepared for uh, this level of play from Terry Rozier. I don't think they were really prepared to have uh, a guy like Al Horford uh do what he does and like you said that matchup Tatum against it was Bellinelli for a little while uh, he backs up against Redick uh, anytime anytime he had an opportunity to drive against one of those guys he took it uh, in fact Tatum had a, a really good game his numbers 28 points 8 of 16 shooting 1 of 5 from 3 11 of 12 free throws Four turnovers, and I feel like it feel like four turnovers was a little low. He lost the ball so many times. He, he all he does better. is lose the ball. <laughs> it felt like, I mean, he could have had an even better game. He could have had a thirty-something point game the way he was going. So the that that matchup, they have to react so strongly to Tatum. There's just no way. Who do you leave when when Rozier is going like he's going when? He's going. There's just nothing that the um, the Sixers can do about that. I will say that, they, like you mentioned, there there is a strong possibility of this stuff evening out. So the the Celtics, not only did the Celtics make 17 three pointers, Terry Rozier made seven. He made two more than the entire Sixers team. I don't think that's sustainable moving forward. 
Probably not, but the Sixers were leaving on some situations where, like, why? Leaving Rozier wide open, left Horford wide open. The the Sixers' defense in transition, they seem to have a lot of miscommunications, get lost a lot. I mean, I, I don't think the Celtics are going to shoot as well, and you definitely can't rely on Aaron Baines in the corner. Um, but I love the fact that he shot the threes because that just draws Embiid out. But the Sixers' just general defense was not great tonight. The Celtics are going to knock down open shots, especially at home. And so the Celtics, I mean, the, the 76ers really need to, um, this wasn't a, a, in the first half, the, the Celtics definitely made a, a number of tough shots, a number of Mook kind of isolations. Jason Tatum had some nice pull-ups. Um, but then in the second half, it just felt like the Celtics, or the Sixers defense kind of broke down and the Celtics were getting much better looks. <coughs> and um, they made them pay, especially ter- like Terry Rozier is out of this world, man. Yeah. Seven for nine from three is just insane and his name is tito three sticks so it might be sustainable like that guy all he does is be fancy and hit threes like that those are his two main roles and he does them quite well i think i think the celtics did a couple of things here that that are sustainable and uh, first of all they they did exactly what they needed to do against a philly team that wants to go out there and run and take threes in transition they slowed the, the game down and then they held philly to 22 points in the first quarter and 23 in the second quarter. So you hold Philly to under 50 points and a half. And fast break points, the Celtics held Philly to 10 fast break points. So that right away, especially in the first half, they did a great job controlling the pace of the game. They played it at the right tempo where the Celtics could do what they do best and Philly couldn't do what they did best. Uh like you mentioned, they they built that wall in front of Simmons and, and forced him to either be a scorer or to just get the ball up, and he was not being a scorer. So that alone is a huge, huge win. He was not passing like normal. He uh, and, and I think part of why he wasn't passing like normal, there was a lot of Embiid. Embiid ended up with... Uh, 31 points, but he did most of his damage in the third quarter where he finally kind of got aggressive. In the first half, he wasn't particularly great. In the third quarter, four or five shooting for 11 points. In the first half, he, I felt, like settled for long jumpers, was kind of holding the ball. Maybe he was attacking a little bit, but he had a couple of turnovers when he was trying to make post moves, which he's prone to do. I think with and when Embiid is kind of going for his and the rest of the team is standing around, I'm okay with that. Even though he did have a stretch in the third quarter where he got super aggressive and he kind of carried the team and it got dangerous, he's not going to do that for a whole game. Not against these Celtics. Not against Aaron Baines, who had a really, really good game. Uh, on top of hitting the threes really, really good defensively. I just don't think that Embiid attacking the way he did in the third quarter, I don't think that's that's going to happen for four full quarters. I don't think it's going to be an effective way for Philly to run their offense. And if he tries, then I am all for it because it just takes away Simmons creating. It takes away those shooters getting shots because the Celtics uh, are, are not in rotation. And then that, what that ends up really doing is turning 
Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova and J.J. Redick into liabilities rather than threats because defensively they get attacked over and over and over again and they end up being net negatives on the floor versus positives. Uh, Bellinelli was a minus 23. Redick was even. Ilyasova was just a plus three. So those guys, if they're not out there shooting the shit out of the ball and just draining threes and killing you from deep, they end up being net negatives because the Celtics, like Tatum and Rozier, attack them. So that, that kind of that kind of stuff is, I think, sustainable if they can get Embiid to kind of play the same way and if they can kind of control Simmons a little bit. I think that that bodes well for Game 2. And if they add Jalen Brown to the mix, that's another defender against the wing player that I think... Like the Celtics got away with not having a guy that's super super important in this series, so there there's some stuff that you look at game two and you say the shooting might not be the, the same and some of these things might not be the same, but there's some stuff here that I look at game two and I'm like I think this can carry over. I think some of the way the Celtics defended Philly can definitely carry over, and one of the big questions is does Simmons try to overcompensate in game two and play too rushed too but too much uh, individually and just try to take over and uh, to the detriment of the team. You, you would hope so at this point. He seems like a kind of a, an emotional guy, and his seven turnovers tonight definitely didn't help out his team. I, I like really thought the Celtics' decision just to guard Embiid straight up one-on-one and stick on the shooters was fantastic because you're, you're right. He had those moments in the third quarter where he was pretty much unguardable, but – even after a stretch of like four or five plays where he was um, got buckets, he then immediately like went to a turnover and then had to be taken out of the game. I think if you just kind of let Embiid get his and stay on the shooters, the Celtics have historically and this season always been uh, a tremendous team at guarding the three-point line. Um, it And it becomes so much easier when you don't have to stay on, on Ben Simmons because he's not going to shoot. Um, I think the Celtics, Celtics have a really good chance of, of limiting this, the – the 76ers. Now I expect um, Dario Saric was 0 for 4 from 3. So was Covington. Like you expect those guys to have a little bit of a, a bounce back game. You expect JJ Redick to hit, to hit more threes. So I think there is going to be some sort of, of regression to the mean or whatever the opposite of regression is back for um, ascension. shooting ascension. I should know that. I do statistics for a living. Um, but. I think those guys. You expect those guys to make more shots, but I think it's just the, a very solid defensive strategy of just sticking one guy on Embiid and making him either make plays or um, making the shooters knock down shots. And then you add Jalen Brown on top of all that, who's one of your better perimeter defenders. Now he might bite on some pump fakes or something like that, but he's still going to do a, a pretty damn good job. Um, especially now, the fact that they rested him, he has two extra days in between game one and game two. I think that's great for his recovery. Uh, it just feels like the the Celtics is, at home uh, should be in great shape for game two just because they, there's not much they need to change uh, in terms of their game plan. They're going to be reacting to uh, maybe Philadelphia's adjustments, but um, I thought what they did on the offensive end in terms of attacking mismatches was great, and I thought the defensive strategy worked out perfectly. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I I think they're going to have to maybe spend some time, obviously they will, looking at how Philly might play them differently. Are they going to face guard Al Horford uh, a little bit? Are they going to – sorry, I just – I have my Twitter open as I'm talking. (laughs) I just have – Sam Sheehan uh, in a headband and headphones making a, like a muscle pose, and I can't continue my train of thought <laughs> because it's one of the most hilarious things I've seen. Go to at Sam Sheehan, and you'll know what I'm talking about as soon as you see it. It's my own fault for keeping Twitter open because I'm looking for post-game quotes, and that's just going to happen. I might have to shut that off. Um so to, to what I was saying, they are going to adjust. Brett's a good coach, and they are a good team, and they have talent. They they will – what will they do? And the, the good thing about James Brown, if he does come back from game two, is he provides an instant adjustment by the Celtics. Like the Celtics are – you say they don't really have to adjust much. They just keep doing what they've been doing. But now, all of a sudden, you throw Jalen Brown into that mix, and it, it becomes a pseudo-adjustment for the Celtics because now here's a player that didn't play in game one after you've succeeded and won going away. Oh, now you're throwing in a really, really good player, one of your best defenders, a guy who can create his own shot. And Philly's worried about how do we do all of this stuff to fix of what went wrong against this team, and now you've got to account for Jalen Brown. So that is a kind of very positive way to look at a guy sitting out game one with a hamstring injury. If he can come back in game two, and like you said, he's got that extra time, that's, that's I think, a, a big deal. That That's going to be an added wrinkle. He, I mean, now here's a guy, he can go guard Simmons. He can switch on to some of these other players, Covington, Sarich, He's big enough, strong enough to handle those guys. Uh, I'm a big proponent, and I've been, I have been for a long, long time, of those bigs, especially like like uh, Embiid. You you do not double team those guys. 
I remember when uh, Dwight Howard was good and playing for Orlando and those 08, 09 Celtics teams. I always loved them guarding him one-on-one and staying home on shooters. That's how the, that's how the Celtics beat a team with a dominant big man surrounded by a ton of shooting back then, and they're doing it now. You can just single cover the guy and you stay home on those shooters. They were cold. They were definitely cold. But staying home on those shooters, they, they didn't get a ton of really, really good looks. Even the open looks they got towards the end were forced. So uh, as annoying as Dario Saric was, uh, as annoying as some of these guys can be, I think the Celtics do have a good game plan. Again, I will repeat. I will repeat. The matchups are good for the Celtics. The matchups work out for the Celtics in this series. And I just want to say that people overreacted to, and I, I don't know how the series is going to go. Like, this is just one game. But people definitely kind of came into this way, way, way overreacting. They overreacted to Philly, and they overreacted to New Orleans, sweeping Portland. Everybody lost their goddamn minds. I heard people saying that if uh, Golden State didn't have Steph, then they could lose that series. No. People are talking about... The Sixers, like, oh, well, they're the obvious team to beat, and uh, Ben Simmons is the next LeBron, and like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pump the goddamn brakes for a second. Simmons is good, and he's going to be really good, but there are ways to defend this guy, and the, the Sixers are still super young. They just won their first playoff series against the team that they overmatched. So let's, let's see how the rest of the series goes. But I think game one can at least get some people back to reality and say, okay, yes, the Sixers, by the way, still also have their own flaws. So this is going to be, I think, a much better series, however it goes, a much better series than people were expecting. Yeah, looking at this, um, the box score right now and just this, the Sixers bench – if they're not hitting threes, if their pickups, uh, Ilyasova and Bellinelli are not hitting threes, that's a pretty crappy bench. Those are your, that's your sixth man and your seventh guy coming off the bench. And Marco Bellinelli could not guard anyone. Like they were systematically attacking his man every single time. And so if Bellinelli, who is a game low minus 23, uh, if he's not, he's basically their sixth man. He's their guy they're turned to for kind of bench scoring or like kind of to change the dynamic of the game. If he's not hitting shots, he's a liability out there. And so if you kind of – we saw those two guys, Ilya Sovian and Bellinelli, hit a bunch of threes in the Miami Heat series and thought, oh, man, this this bench team, this, this 76ers are deep. This bench is pretty impressive. Um, but if those guys have a bad game, then it's it's really a not the best, like, created team. I think um, Covington had a, a pretty – he was – all right on defense, but he had a, a terrible performance, which uh, I know 76ers fans aren't that surprised by. Um, it shouldn't be a too big a surprise that Ben Simmons, a rookie, uh, despite uh, the chanting of the of the Boston Celtics crowd, which was hilarious, um, he is he's playing in his first playoff series, and there's a lot of pressure on him to do something, and he he can't shoot. And then they have a, a star in Joel Embiid and some solid role players, but after like they're just not that deep of a team, and I was. The kind of surprised when the Celtics bench came in, uh, especially early on, and had such a huge impact. And um, just looking at the talent up and down the roster, we kind of, at least I did. I I was kind of one of the people who bought into this 76ers hype of saying, oh, they have more talent, they have more talent. But 
in terms of just actual depth, especially with Jalen Brown coming back in the series, it feels like the Celtics um, just have a, a more players who know what they're doing and can kind of manuf- uh, uh, play defense on both ends of the court. Like uh, they have two way players uh, up and down the roster, uh, at least they did tonight with Shemi and uh, Aaron Baines making some shots, but they have more two way players where it just feels like after game one, really trying not to overreact, but um, without Jalen Brown, they just played much better than the 76ers. And it, I, Again, I'm not really sure what the answer is other than make more shots if you're the 76ers. Because if Bellinelli's not making shots, he's not like the Celtics may be able to play him off the off the court because they that's how bad he was on defense. And then if Bellinelli's not playable, where do the Sixers turn to? Is it TJ McConnell? Is it like Justin Anderson? Like I don't know where their depth comes from. They had a real like hard time. Um, Putting, they start off with J.J. Redick on Jason Tatum, which didn't really make sense, but the Celtics did a good job of switching and finding the smaller player, and they don't really have a lot of a lot of guard depth. Like, J.J. Redick is going to have to play some serious minutes um, for them, and I just don't know what they turn, where they turn defensively to kind of stop the Celtics. And that's kind of a, a shocking thing to say because the Celtics have always kind of struggled to score points. That's their M.O., but in the playoffs, they've been executing for the past eight games. Like, they... They know generally what they're trying to do now. And so I'm excited to see how the, the Sixers answers back because I just don't know what exactly the answer is. If Al, I mean, if Al Horford's going to be shooting, what was it? Al 10 of 10 of 12. Yeah. 10 of 12, two of three from three, four of four from the line. And he, the, the cool thing about the Horford was he did it in two very important stretches. He, Clearly, Al Horford picks his spots of when he's going to be aggressive, but uh, the first was came in part of this 10-0 run in the second quarter where he really kind of um, extended the lead and uh, had a huge impact um, there. It was kind of uh, right when he came back in for after being out for the start of the first quarter and start of the second quarter, or the end of the first quarter, start of the second quarter, he came back in and kind of extended this huge lead uh, going into halftime, and then... When the Sixers made it close in the fourth quarter, I think they cut it to six. He came back and was just super aggressive again and going on his 5-0 run. So it's not even that he was incredibly efficient. It's that he he timed it perfectly in the game and gave the, his team points when they needed it. And so I thought he was the best player on the court, and that was my key to the entire series was he needed to be better than Embiid. And despite Embiid scoring um, 31 points tonight, I think Al Horford was clearly much better than him. I, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, the numbers, you look at the box score, and it looks like Embiid had the better game. But when you're watching, Embiid had maybe a little bit more dominant of a stretch in that third quarter. But other than that, I think Embiid, not only did he, like, like he hit a couple of tough shots, but uh, I, I think Horford was definitely better and, and much more impactful in this game. The, 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 the scoring that Al Horford provided, it was Definitely more meaningful to Boston than than whatever Embiid did for the Sixers. And there was a stretch there in the, let's say maybe the third quarter, later in the third quarter after Embiid had made his little run, he had a couple of turnovers. He looked, I don't know, sluggish. He looked like he was, he just kind of done for a little while, and he was kind of clutching his shoulders. And I know that he was getting a massage on his shoulders before the game. Something, Something's clearly up with him and his shoulders. He's got all that kinesio tape on one of them. So who knows what is going, uh, what's going on with him there. 
but it, it looks like there are stretches where Embiid just kind of is like, eh, forget this. And whether it's a mental thing or a fatigue thing, there there are stretches where Embiid kind of checks out. And you saw it on that play where he, he uh, Al Horford. There, are they like reconstructing the arena behind you? It is the Bull Gang. They're switching it over from basketball to hockey. I was desperately trying. I'm like in the back of the room trying to uh, avoid the noise as much as possible. But it's a uh, no. Yeah, they're doing crazy things, crazy construction right now. They really are. But um, I think Embiid is. Uh, I don't know. He'll, he'll he'll check out for from time to time. And there was that three that Al Horford hit that I tweeted out the picture. Said nice defense where Embiid was like way down in the lane and had like 15 feet away from Al Horford who drilled the three. He completely forgot that Al Horford shoots threes and just like completely sold out on dropping on the pick and roll. And it's oh. like you can't you can't do that. Yeah, that's a mental mistake. And and th- and this is where I think the youth and the lack of playoff experience. This is where it really does kind of show up in in why I think Philly, as as talented as they are, they they have they have vulnerable I should say to things like this. So Embiid making mistakes and maybe checking out from certain plays or being gassed, I don't know. Uh, Simmons losing his cool at the end, just generally not playing well. And the frustration from younger guys, they just they haven't had this level of pressure, this this kind of atmosphere that you know, to to be on the line and you know having the, the entire gym just chanting the hell like the not a rookie chant and shout out to my my people out there for delivering on the not a rookie chant i just thought that was really funny uh but stuff like that can get into a kid's head you're not playing a, a, a game you're not playing a good game you, you know you've, you've got donovan mitchell kind of doing his thing you've gone back and forth already about this in the media so to hear not a rookie from from the the crowd it's like you, you know that's like he he's hearing it and it's it's in his head so that type of stuff a, a guy who has been through a playoffs or two or three can look at that and say ah whatever he can crush it all. a young guy a rookie in his first taste of the playoffs in that atmosphere it's it's different, and and maybe he'll learn from it from game one to game two, or maybe he won't learn from it at all. It's hard to say, but there's no doubt, no doubt that being in Boston in that type of atmosphere, with an angry, hostile environment, where the other team comes out and it's just like that desperate back against the wall. I don't know how many other cliches I can throw out there to demonstrate how desperate the Celtics might have been being so shorthanded, but to get that immediate punch in the mouth, it, it's it's a bit of a shock. And I wrote about it on RedsArmy.com before the game. The, the Sixers were getting a lesson in playoff atmosphere, and this was this is exactly what I was talking about. They got punched in the mouth early. They didn't know how to react. Sixers lost his cool. Um, and he sort of, I don't want to say quit, but it didn't look great towards the end. And now we'll see. Now we'll see what happens in game two. We don't, you know, all of this stuff was great. We don't want to overreact. I don't want to say that any of this stuff goes well beyond this game. Like we said, there's stuff to carry over. There's definitely defensive things that the Celtics did well that they can carry over. The shooting for the Celtics is 
probably not going to be as good as it was tonight because it was damn good. And the Sixers shooting probably won't be as bad as it was because it was pretty bad. And they'll, they'll probably play a much closer game to that, that'll go down to the wire and it'll just somehow come down to late game execution. Which brings me to the one guy we haven't talked about, Marcus Smart and his winning. <laughs> he was, uh, this was a classic Marcus Smart game. It felt like he had way more than one turnover. He took some shots that he really shouldn't have took. He nailed some threes that were kind of absurd. There was an audible groan on his second made three in the crowd because he had just hit, missed two bad ones. Um, but you're right. Then he just comes out and makes winning plays, has the crazy and one finish against Embiid that just didn't make any sense in the world, was like the definition of combat muscle. And I thought he played uh, tremendous defense. And then you look down his um, his box score, and he's 3 of 12. Yeah. Uh, eight eight three-pointers made. And that's a crazy, like, I tweeted this out. Like, I'm pretty sure Marcus Smart and Ben Simmons have, like, a relatively similar ability to make three-point shots. It's just that Marcus Smart's like willing to take them and that changes how the defense plays them. I just think Ben Simmons, even though he, maybe it's like for his confidence, he doesn't want to do it, but the very fact that the, if you're guarding Ben Simmons and you can stand in the paint and you know he's not going to shoot it, I think is, is problematic for his game. He just needs to start launching threes. He needs to have the mentality of Marcus Smart where he believes it's going to go in every single time. Um, because it's just, I, I, I think it's just it's so much easier to guard someone if you if you just know one thing they're not going to do. And I'm sorry that Marcus Smart uh, uh, analysis immediately turned into shooting on Ben Simmons, but it was like something I could. <laughs> it was something I was thinking about the entire game just because the guy wouldn't wouldn't shoot. And he was I mean, I guess he's not that good of a shooter. He did go to the line 11 times and was only six of 11 um from the free throw line, the Sixers shot 35 three free throws. The Celtics, they were in the bonus with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. I was actually kind of surprised that that didn't come back and uh, hurt the Celtics. Um, but the Sixers ended up missing nine uh, free throws, and a lot of those are from Simmons. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe he should be shooting much less because he's um, not good at it. Maybe he should just take Kevin O'Connor's advice and switch hands already. Um, but again – you asked me about Marcus Smart, and I just wanted to talk about Ben Simmons not shooting, and I've lost my train of thought now. That's all right. That's all right. That Marcus Smart play against Embiid, I don't even know. I've seen the video probably 10, 15 times. I, I still haven't exactly processed how he got the ball away from Embiid because I don't actually think he had his hand on the ball. It really looks like he used the force to will the ball into his hand and get that rebound away. I, I don't know how he did it. Because it's like one of those weird things, like the frame misses the ball going into his hands. It looks like he magically stole the ball from Embiid. But that's that's Marcus Smart. He's magic. He, he's, this, like you said, it's a perfectly classic Marcus Smart game to go 3 of 12, but still end up not a negative in the plus minus. He also had nine assists. He also had three rebounds. Uh, the steal really just it, I'm at a loss for words he's he, he goes for long stretches where I write down on my notes Marcus Smart question mark like what the hell is he doing out there for, he didn't have a good first half his first half was bad and, and on both ends of the floor he was to the point where uh, early in the third quarter I, I was thinking 
I don't know if we can handle Marcus Smart in this game. He's he's killing us right now. There was a long stretch where he was killing the Celtics, and that's what makes this a, such a Marcus Smart game. Because how many times have we said, Jesus Christ, he's killing us out there. He's he's taking quick shots. He's not making intelligent plays. He even on the defensive end, he I think he was in his own he was in his own head. Something was going on with his thumb. He hit it again. He, I think he also got kicked in the penis. He got kicked. Yes, that also <laughs> happened. I also think he got kicked in the thumb uh, on the baseline play, which is why he was like shaking it. And so that whole thing, he had that rap that he didn't like, and he was playing with that. Something was not going well. I think after halftime, and they rewrapped that thumb, he could start playing with without worrying about the thumb. He kind of got a little bit better, and. He turned it around like that. He made insane plays. He, he forced the jump ball that you know he had no business getting and against Redding. And in the end, he just mind-blowingly makes winning plays, and that's just Marcus Smart. And, and they don't win without him. No, and I think that the nine assists is key because despite his poor shooting. Um, I still think he's one, a, a very good playmaker, and he, there's a couple times where he found Terry for threes, uh, one where Covington was just completely lost. But Marcus Smart is very good at getting the defender on his back and being very patient and making the right read, and I thought he did a great job with that tonight. The, the kind of combination of him and uh, Tito, with Tito being off ball and Marcus being the kind of the main playmaker, I think is a winning combination for the Celtics, and ideally those two would be the kind of the two guys coming off the the bench for this the season. That's hopefully what we'll see next season. But um, when Jalen Brown returns, presumably that means a little bit less time for Marcus Smart, so you don't really need him to be taking threes. But I still think he's he's going to have a positive impact. And you're right, he's this is a classic Marcus Smart performance where he does all the, the things we hate and all the things we love, and the Celtics end up winning. Okay, let's get to some tweets before we wrap this up. Uh, we'll start with our friend Robert Denton, average Al, uh, it, with 83% field goal shooting. When will we trade him? I, I added a sarcastic tone, I assume, was there in the tweet, in parentheses, never soon. Hashtag Rain and Jays. Like, this has been uh, just a, a paradise for the, those of us who actually believe Al Horford is good at basketball. And those people who have hated on Al Horford have just kind of retreated into the wings and are nowhere to be found. Because Al Horford actually is good at basketball. Oh, no, no. This is the argument of those people now is that, oh, this is just what we wanted the entire time. Oh. It's just, move, just moving the goalposts. So it's like, oh, no, no matter what happens, I'll be right in this situation. And it's like you name the guy Average Al, you're, you're stupid, okay? <laughs> I'm giving you the official J. King, you're stupid, stupid because you come out with that nickname. You can't backtrack from that. You can't move the goalposts. He is amazing. Right. Shut up, Loomer Loney. <laughs> uh, uh, Greg Pace at GPace1216 asking us, what do we think? Quote tweeting Nate Silver asking, if you were to start, if you were starting an NBA team and wanted to maximize your chance of winning a championship over the next five seasons, who would you rather have? Giannis Antetokounmpo or Brad Stevens? I, Damn. I, Kaizen, Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. I mean, Giannis has been awesome, but 
he hasn't won a playoffs. He's, he's had three cracks at the playoffs. And I'm not being completely fair, but like this this year was his opportunity to to beat a depleted Celtics team, and he he didn't do it. He hasn't won anything. Brad Stevens, meanwhile, has been look look they they won they won a first round series no one gave him a chance well i shouldn't say no one but uh, sounded like a player in the locker room but a lot of people didn't give him a chance they were too hurt last year they went to the conference finals they shouldn't have they when they shouldn't have you know the they keep on winning the guys guys keep playing better for him i, I just don't see why I'm, I'm taking i'm taking brad stevens i'm taking brad stevens with the thought that he's going to take another player whatever good player and and be great Whatever. Uh, My first thought is uh, I always wanted to weigh in is that you you normally would take the player every time because the guy is on the court and that actually matters. But Brad Stevens just his ability to like be a multiplier for every player who plays for him. I just think creates like a an organizational just own, like momentum towards getting better and winning. And like the Kaizen thing is a rallying cry, but it's actually like true. You've seen what he's done with players. The they feels like every player comes up. To play for Brad Stevens gets the most out of his game, whether it's Jordan Crawford or Evan Turner or all the players currently on the Celtics, Semi Ojale, Shane Larkin, and just so to have that kind of multiplier effect, I think is uh, would be tremendous for team building. And I'm super biased because Brad Stevens coaches my team, and Giannis <laughs> just missed. Uh at RG three sticks. You shake hands with Terry Rozier, you walk away with a third degree burn. That's uh, oh, I guess that's something that. Uh, uh, Ernie Johnson said on TNT, "That's it's pretty nice. Pretty nice quote. You shake hands with Terry Rozier, you walk away with third degree burn because he's hot, baby, hot." <laughs> At Todd underscore Walters, can Scary Terry headline a Trader Danny offer for the brow, or does it have to include one or both of Taco Day, Taco J, and Juice? Right, we're going to all nicknames. Uh, all right, I don't. I don't even want to engage on this question. I don't think Anthony Davis is getting traded. Uh, we're in the playoffs. Like yeah, we don't. I, I'm not. Uh, let's move on. Let's move I'm sorry. on. Yeah, I, I just don't want to. Uh, I'll just say that he's not getting traded. So let's. After game one, I know Terry was hot, and people think that you can trade Terry in a second rounder and get yourself Kawhi Leonard or something like that. But um, no. I think there'll be a lot of offseason talk about Terry Rozier and potential trades, but right now is not the time for that discussion. Uh. uh uh, let's see. I, I am Mr. Heat Miser. Okay, sure. I am so proud of these boys, Kaizen. <laughs> uh, Ed Keenan, fifteen. It may always, it may be always sunny in Philadelphia, but it's raining jays in Boston. I like that. Oh, he tagged that rain and junk, but I, I read it there. That's okay. Uh, I'm all for, by the way, because I'm super, super into it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Anytime you can throw always sunny references at philadelphia i think it's extra hilarious marcus smart is the epitome of charlie work and he does it quite well he does he is out there bashing rats uh, <laughs> at scroper still you have to think the if the sixers were healthy they would have won uh it's making a joke that's a good joke that's a good uh, good old-fashioned comedy from the scrope man he always comes correct yep yep uh let's see at jones G Ruraj. Jonathan Jessaraj. Sorry, I totally butchered that. Everything starts looking easier when you don't have long armed active defenders like the Bucks did. That is uh that is true. The Bucks had the the I'll put it this way. Philly has three guys who are 
individually good defenders, but the Bucks had that they have this knack for defending uh, and and deflecting passes and and really challenging at the rim. And, and the the Sixers just have didn't have that tonight. So we'll see if that continues. Uh, at underscore Costello Tito for Finals MVP. Even if the Celtics don't make the finals, who's uh, that hot? Um, at Rife C, last game Horford was a monster. Somehow he's outdoing himself. Uh, and there's a bunch of uh, Al Horford stuff. Uh, we'll just leave that at that with the Rain and Jays hashtag. How about some Rain and Junk? Some tweets? Rain Let's go for it. Tweets at Taylor 636-90406. Yabu have the biggest ass in the league? Yes. Yes, yes, he does. He it's quite big. Tremendously large ass. But it works for him, and he's very nimble with it. So, uh, Tito, oh, it's, it's uh, at, is it BC on Brown? Tito had three, three successful lobs tonight. Terry the Lobster has <laughs> Now, I remember this. Uh, she asked me earlier what I thought, like two weeks ago, about uh, the nickname Terry the Lobster. And historically, Tito has not been good at lobs, but tonight he was great. So I'm, I'm all for Terry the Lobster uh, having risen. Shout out to her for um, staying, keeping posting and sticking with a nickname. That's what I'm all about here at the Raining Jays Locked on Celtics podcast. So post your way through it, no matter what. Uh, <laughs> I love the weirdness of these tweets. Ilyasova's hair doesn't match his face. From at OS underscore X underscore Leon. I, it's sure, sure. At at um Wolfgang is someone I follow on Twitter. He had a great Ilyasova tweet who said he looks like normal sized Boban, and I thought that was perfect. <laughs> that's uh, that's perfect. That really is perfect. Um, okay, at Tushbagoosh, lucky being birthed by the flagception is good fucking breakfast. Oh, this is a weird segment that they do. Uh, where they have just a bunch of flags and then they like rip one flag through a hole in the center of the flag and it says like let's get loud and there's different things and then all of a sudden Lucky emerges. Um, I'm gonna have to disagree with uh, Touche Bagoosh. He's one of the guys who goes to all the games and he'll tweet me. The uh, he's a big Lil Funk fan as well, but I don't I don't like the flags. They kind of creep me out. <laughs> I didn't realize you had a flag phobia. It's not it's not all flags. It's these creepy flags. I don't like lucky emerging from them it's just uh very it's like birth and i don't it's gross okay at mikey sandmel can we talk about jalen brown bopping and mouthing all the words to chance the rapper at the end of the third i saw that on the replay he was just kind of like slowly like like almost as if he didn't want to be seen he was kind of like wasn't going full like dancey but he was like you could tell he was mouthing the words along it was it was kind of fun moment that's like me at uh, riding public transportation where I'm singing along, but I don't want to make too big of a scene, but I also want to sing along. That's, I, I didn't get a chance to see it, but that sounds exactly like every single time I'm waiting for the bus. Uh, so Matt Bonner tweeted when uh, Marcus Smart got kicked in the nuts. He tweeted, what goes around comes around. And at Mighty Mouse, Mighty underscore Mouse 235, Ron Rosales said, warranted or is the Red Rocket a hater? Please discuss. Um, Marcus Smart punched Matt Bonner directly in the penis. Directly. So, uh, 
Yeah. I think it is a hundred percent warranted, and he may also be a hater. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. No, it's true. But there was that play uh, in San Antonio where this was what, like two, three years ago, that yeah, uh, Marcus Smart came off a pick and like he was ripping through a pick. You know, and sometimes it almost looks like a lineman kind of ripping underneath to to go through a pick, and he just punched Matt Bonner right in the dick. And so I would say it's it's warranted. Um, at Aaron R1252, just at the start of the game, TNT announcer, not Mikhail, said, it's amazing what the Sixers have done in such a short amount of time. He might need some help. Yes, the process is uh, was way, way too long, and that was not an accurate comment. Yeah, uh, it's just more stuff to say. I can imagine you just, you got a lot of time to fill, and you got to say some things about it. I'm not going to sure. criticize the announcers, although unless I'm get I'm watching at home and I get mad online, but I didn't hear it, so I'm, I can't get let myself get mad about that. Last of these tweets uh, from at Addy Shep. I'm just going to tell you to go follow at Addy Shep A T I S H E P, or at least go to his timeline because Sam tweeted a picture of Jay King tweeting and Addy added a floaty to the picture so it's pretty hilarious jay king your boy out there with a little floaty around his waist it looks pretty that's, good. that's that's not the only thing Addy shepherd created he also had a nice photoshop of jay king's face onto the salt bay guy um, creating a nice Salt J image. Uh, that was pregame. I retweeted that and saved it and tweeted it and will continue to tweet it uh, throughout the time because it's it's wonderful. Now, uh, I know we're running these right now. Go ahead. We're running a little long, but I'm going to rub. Just go through this raining junk as fast as possible. Go for it. I'm um, not even going to stop you. It's all you. Terry showing up in a Drew Bledsoe jersey. Hilarious. Him saying that that's my guy. I've never talked to him, but that's my guy is a line I'm going to use throughout time from now. Terry Rozier is the most entertaining player on the Celtics, and he deserves a medal. Um, all of Mook Morris's friends are here at the games wearing Sixers jerseys, and I kind of respect it. Like, those are just some Philly dudes who they don't care that their boy is on the Celtics. They're wearing Sixers jerseys. I was entertained by that. Before the game, Brad did the classic Bill Belichick of just trying to name every single player on the other team and talking about how dangerous they are. And he brought up Timothy Luau, whatever, Cabaret or whatever his name is, and Rashawn Holmes. And it was just like, come on, Brad. Those guys have not played in three weeks. Um, you don't need to bring them up. But I thought that was awesome. And then Brett Brown, in his accent, um, talking, he just tells the best stories. He's just like a classic old Mainer. Uh, who will tell you basically anything you ask him, and it was fantastic. Um, moving on, moving on. I love seeing people of NBA Twitter refinding um, some Terry tweets, some resurfaced tonight, and just their reaction to him saying, like, man, Osama bin Laden should have played poop because he's that dude's like 6'11". Fantastic. <laughs> um, I, had, I felt bad for the big dog because he just got played off the court in his five minutes tonight. Um, uh, I just have a soft spot in my heart for the big dog. Uh, there's a horrendous foul call on Al Horford, and there's an amazing gif of Danny Ainge slamming the ball into the ground and saying that's awful. That's going to be fantastic. Um, Jason Tatum, oh, he made a, a, one of the prettiest layup attempts I've ever seen. He ended up missing it, but he got right past Robert Covington and then got an up and under, and it was insane. Uh, I'm, I'm still thinking about it right now. 
Uh, it was pretty damn cool. Uh, moving on, I don't know who it was, but they were playing Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe, and then they showed either Belle Biv or DeVoe on the screen. I have no idea which one it is. I think it was Biv. I think Michael Bivens, but I have no idea. I know those guys are from Boston, so it's likely they're at their game, but I thought that should be mentioned. And, oh, they got a nice, a very kind of faint uh, fuck the process chant at the end of the game, um, which was just, uh, it's entertaining. I thought the the fans with the he's a rookie chant and he's not a rookie chant for, or he is a rookie and he's not a rookie for uh, Tatum and Simmons was just, uh, it was tastefully done. I thought the, the Garden crowd... The energy in the building tonight was way more like this was way more an event than Game 7 was, which actually surprised me. I was actually kind of underwhelmed by the Game 7 environment. But tonight, I don't know, maybe it's just Boston, Philadelphia gets the people going. But I thought the crowd was fantastic tonight. And to finish off with an F the process chant, um, it's just good old fashioned fun. Like we got a we got a post and war on our hands. I Oh, and finally, I was told I forget it was someone from. 76ers land or some national media saying, oh, you need to follow these 76ers people online. And then I was told to follow at heck Philly. And man, that guy is mad online right now. He has some tweets. Rozier is a fucking G leaguer. Please don't tweet me about him anymore. He's a bona fide G leaguer. What's your point? He was just very, very upset after the game. And oh my, I suggest following him if the Celtics continue to win because it's been fun. Which one is he? What's his name? Uh, at heck Philly. I don't know. I just He just came across my timeline, and he was super mad online. Uh, it was right at the time where Ben Simmons was kind of frustrated and mad online at the end of the game. Um, it was just it was like a perfect kind of – the perfect storm of Philly people being mad online. It was the, it was the best way to end the night. Fantastic. We'll go search him out. Uh, tonight's the night that we can basically talk all the shit we want on Twitter. There's not much coming back. Although I will say it's only been one game. We got to prepare ourselves for the this didn't age well comebacks, which I always hate. Tweets that come up and say this didn't age well. It's never it's not supposed to age well. Yeah, Twitter is for the moment. The fact that right. Twitter on your phone like shows you tweets from 12 hours ago is annoying as like two. Yep. Twitter should be instant analysis in the moment. The fact that old takes exposed exists always pissed me off because like the whole point of this is to give your immediate reaction and thoughts. Of course, you're going to be wrong. Right. Like, like that's the whole point. It's just... Everybody's wrong. Everybody's wrong at some point. Nobody's right 100% of the time. And if you call somebody out saying, oh, look how wrong you were on that one time. Like, yeah, sure, I was. I was. So were you. Big, big deal. Uh, you can't focus on the results of your predictions or your tweets. you got to focus on the process. And whether or not you're making good jokes uh, or making good posts or creating good memes, it's the process, not the results of whether or not you're being right. Kaizen, bitches. Kaizen. <laughs> We'll end it on that one. And always ask you to subscribe if you're not a subscriber. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you are a subscriber, uh, give us that five-star review. Give us a good uh, rating and, and all of that stuff. Share the podcast. Spread the word. Tell people to listen to us. We're the Locked On Celtics Podcast. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.